let the pain teach you, and then in return, teach others. And that becomes a survival guide. If they can see through me that healing is possible, then they have already seen themselves healing. Hi, we are Colleen and Colleen, and we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong. So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hi, guys. Welcome back to You Fit Here. This is CB. And CS. And we have such a special episode today. This one is probably going to twist and wrench your heart all into different places, but we think it's so important. We have our guest, Adam Bramski, who was on our episode number 29 called Showing Up as Myself, and he so vulnerably shared with us that he attempted to commit suicide when he was 15 years old. He knew that his story could and would and has greatly impacted so many people, so he is choosing to show up just as himself and share his whole story and light the path for others, and we needed to get him back on here. It is National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, and he has so much to share on his mission. So thank you so much, Adam, for joining us again. Thank you for having me. I am excited to talk to the both of you. We just love talking to you. We just need to talk every single week. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) Cover all the topics. Yes. So September, like I said, is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, which is a topic close to CS's heart with what happened to her sister and her brother-in-law. We won't go into full detail about what happened if you guys have already listened to previous episodes, but Colleen's sister, Shannon, was involved in a murder-suicide in 2014. If you're new to this episode, you can listen, or new to the story, you can listen back probably to episode number two, I think, when Colleen mm-hmm. shared in depth her full story. Um So this topic is so important. It is so needed to be discussed. And it's one of those things that people kind of skirt around and avoid talking about because of the discomfort it causes. Um, So this topic has become part of Adam's mission, and it is so close to his heart as well. When Adam was just 15 years old, he attempted suicide, and he is now a suicide prevention advocate and His mission is to help those who may have those haunting thoughts as well. So Adam, can you tell our listeners why suicide prevention is so important to you? Definitely. So on average, there are 132 suicides per day. So that is every 12 minutes in the U.S. alone, someone dies by suicide. And when I read that statistic, I was gutted because I thought that's 132 families left wondering why right? That's 132 moms that have to write their kids' eulogies and 132 siblings questioning themselves and friends left without answers. And for me personally, LGBTQ plus kids are three times more likely than straight kids to attempt suicide at some point in their life. And as a suicide survivor, I knew that making this my purpose to talk about it and have these uncomfortable conversations and also show people that healing is possible is something that is so close to my heart. I don't want people to suffer like I did for so long, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, it is so painful hearing those numbers because I think people just live in this world where we don't pay attention to something unless it's a topic near and dear to our hearts. But this is going on around us, like you said, every 12 minutes per day. And this has to be something that we talk about and bring awareness to because if we can save any one of those families from going through that, how can you not just bear down and deal with the uncomfortable conversations? Mm -hmm. This is something that affects everybody. Even if you're not a suicide survivor or you don't have um, thoughts about suicide, it still affects you. Mental health affects everybody. And we need to open our hearts and our minds to, to these kinds of conversations because if one person attempts suicide, then their family is affected by that. And then their friends are affected by that. And it creates that ripple effect. So it may not directly affect you and it could indirectly affect you, but it's still affecting you and it's still a problem. And so anything I can do to, to raise more awareness is, is really important to me. Absolutely. And if it hasn't affected you yet, it probably will in your lifetime at some point. So having more knowledge and information knowing that this happens so often. So if it does present itself in your life in some way, shape or form, you might have more information to handle it Mm -hmm. or help. So can you take us back to that day when you were 15 and you attempted to take your life? Yeah, I, I was 15 years old, like you said, and I ended up in my own home, in my kitchen, um, overdosing on pills And after I did that, I went upstairs and I wrote my family a letter and um, I called my mom and I knew that she was the first voice that I heard in this world and I wanted hers to be the last. And I remember her rushing home and rushing me to the hospital and I, on the way to the hospital, I just kept saying over and over, I hate myself. I hate myself. I was hysterical and she was distraught. And I remember my sister being really hysterical as well. And I'll never forget how many times I said that, like, I hate myself. I hate myself. Um, And at the time I was really struggling with my sexuality. I was bullied in school. Um, I was not popular at all. And I was made fun of for like, I wasn't out, but being gay I had some really great friends in high school, this girl, my best friend, Ashley, who would constantly stick up for me um, and be like, he's not gay. So I just want to put it out there. If there's any girls right now that are sticking up for their friends for being bullied in high school, your work was important and is important. So I love Ashley for that. Um, Yeah. But um, yeah, it just, it was, it was the shame around who I was. It was the guilt around who I was and the fear of what will people think, including my family. And so I felt at that time that that was the only option. Looking back and reflecting now, I realized that I didn't want to die. I wanted the pain I was currently experiencing to end. At that time, though, I thought that that's how it had to happen. How that that was the only way to end the pain. Mm Mm-hmm because you almost couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel whilst living. Absolutely. And when you hold stuff in, I was holding so much in. First of all, my family wasn't the family to really talk about our feelings, 
um, it's so much easier to talk about other people's problems than our own problems, right? So we were the family that was like, oh, we don't talk about that. Um, we don't talk about shame. We don't have shame. Um, but the person down the street, man, they've got shame. So it was so much easier to talk about other people's issues than our own. So I kept so much of what I was struggling with in. And when you don't get something off your chest, that's suffocating. And... Uh, yeah, I just remember holding it in and holding it in. And the more you hold that in, the heavier it gets, mm -hmm. where it's almost unbearable to breathe. And so I remember not getting to a point that that day, it was September 25th, um, getting to that day thinking, this is the answer. Oh my gosh. Were you... Was there like a buildup to that? Obviously, there was a buildup with bullying and feeling shame about who you were. But did you have these thoughts consistently leading up to that day? Or was that day just like, I need to end it? But, um, yeah, I did. I did have those thoughts a lot. And I didn't tell anybody that. And back yeah. then, it wasn't really like we need to normalize the way we talk about mental health. Absolutely. Because yeah. when we change the way we talk about mental health, we will change the way we heal our mental health. So back then it was not talked about at all. And right. it was something that um, like you don't speak about that. And there wasn't a lot of awareness around it. And so I did have suicidal thoughts quite often, actually. And I just never told anybody. And I remember being in the hospital and the doctors came in and it was almost like I did something wrong. Like I was a naughty child or something. And I also want to say that that was my experience. And I believe that like the education has changed around that. So I don't think that'll be many people's experiences if they need to go to the hospital now. But back then I, I felt like I did, they made me feel like I did something bad as a kid. And so I created even even more shame around it. And so it was one of those, what I did was become very sorry and very apologetic for who I was. So the easiest thing to do was apologize for how I felt and say sorry and take it as my own wrongdoing, which created even more guilt and shame. And then also a pattern of being really sorry for who I was later in life. Yeah, you're almost made to feel like what you did, there's something wrong with you, even more than you already feel to lead you to this place. But well, now there's definitely something wrong with me because I tried to commit suicide and people are going to look at me in this way now because that's just who I am. I did something wrong and I'm, I mean, it's heartbreaking. Do you remember what you said to your mom when you called her? Mm, good question. I remember telling her what I did okay. and telling her that, again, I was like super, I was, I hated myself. I was disappointed in myself. I, yeah. And as a mom, I think that rocked her world. Yeah. You know, imagine your child calling you and telling you that they attempted suicide. And at the time, I didn't know what the pills were going to do. Um mm -hmm. So I think that worried her as well. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah. See, I think the stigma, there's still a stigma and labels around mental health and suicide as if there's something wrong with getting help or saying that you need help. Right. I think that needs to change as well. If I would have just been brave enough or, you know, actually at the time I was 15 years old, you don't need to be brave, right? That's what adults are for. If I just had the support system of people that also didn't have the stigma and labels around mental health, I think things would have been differently. 1000%. I think it's so interesting that you just said that I was 15. I was the kid. The adults need to be the ones, you know, it's so crazy in this life right now. You see adults and we preach kindness and all of these things. And, you know, we put a lot of messages on kids shirts and then we're like, some of these messages, it's not the kid's responsibility to wake up the adults to do these things or do better in life. For example, was one that people said, oh, well, you should put that on a kid's shirt. No, adults, you need to do better for the kids in our world. The kids are kids. Like they need the adults, the support, the strength, the people to go to, to grow up and to be good humans who love themselves and aren't shamed for who they are and aren't expected to just figure it out on your own as a teenager. Like it's, it's such a big wake up call. I think a lot of adults need. Yeah. I remember my mom says, you know, you have taught me so much more yeah. than I could have ever taught myself. And I think that kids really do teach their parents a lot. We think the parents need to be the parents and teach their kids. And mm-hmm. in return, I think the kids are also incredible life teachers as well. I totally agree. I think it's beautiful when parents are willing to learn from their kids and their teenagers and not just kind of cast them aside. Like you're, I hear adults a lot, that entitled generation or whatever about teenagers nowadays. It's like, we were just talking about this, Colleen and I about just respecting each other as humans because kids, teenagers have so much information that adults can learn from if they're willing to set aside their ego and just learn from it today. Well, and if I may also add that for me personally, parenting is not what I thought it was going to be at mm-hmm. pretty much all. Um, and so, but also I'm in a good place where I want to learn and grow and change because of the people around me. It doesn't matter their age. And so those teachable moments are huge. But when you're 15 and you keep it all in, I'm just, I'm wondering like what kind of signs should we be looking for? You know, if, I mean, I don't know what all was brought to the attention of your family members or, or whatever, but it just scares me so, so much. I'm, I mean, I don't even know. Mm -hmm. It's, It's just unchartered. Yeah. I'll talk to you about how we dealt with it and then some signs you can look for. Okay. So like I mentioned, we were, we were the family that kind of brushed things under the rug. And so in that moment at the hospital, I learned to just be very apologetic and like, I'm okay. And I'm so sorry. I would never do that again. And afterwards we never talked about it for 15 years. We never 
ever, ever talked about it. It was like this unspoken thing. And so it's not necessarily the suicide that created the shame. It was how it was dealt with afterwards. And so if you can't talk about something, that's that's a red flag right there, right? Mm-hmm. So the the more we like didn't talk about it, the more I created this shame around it. And so um, I, I didn't really get the help that I needed at the time. Now, signs that you can look for in somebody that may be contemplating suicide or having these thoughts is the language that they're using. A lot of times it's language like they don't see a future or what's the point or I don't know my meaning or I don't know my purpose. Sometimes our actions can come off really careless, right? Like almost to the point where like your head's in the clouds all the time, like, like so in the moment that it doesn't matter what happens beyond that to an extreme, right? That's a, that's a couple signs to look for as well. I was, I started to become secluded from my friends. Um, but I hid a lot of it from my family because I was embarrassed. I didn't want them to know I was getting like teased at school or I hated the way I looked. Um, I wasn't comfortable in my body or with my sexuality. I didn't want them to know that. So as a kid, I did a really great job at lying and saying I was okay. At what point did you feel strong enough in yourself to come out and to you know, accept some of these things about you because you hadn't up until the point when you tried to commit suicide, but then Mm. it was never talked about again. Yeah. It was years later that I came out. And, um, I think people think that when you come out of the closet, you automatically accept yourself, which is not true. Even if people, your family or your friends accept you, you still have to go through a self-acceptance process. So Coming out of the closet, I wasn't like, "Woo, I'm free. Here we go. Like, I love myself. Actually, I had to relearn to love and accept the parts that I hid and hated for so long. It was almost like I was hitting puberty again, where you're having all of these weird emotions and weird feelings and things are going on in your body. And you're like, what is going on? And you're hormonal. And I remember going through that experience thinking, wait, I'm out, but I'm still so uncomfortable. And that was years and years of labels and stigma and boundaries and a box that I was put in and society beliefs systems that I took on as myself that I had to get rid of, right? Like we don't just eliminate negative emotions or limiting beliefs without the work of a therapist to do that. What we do is we learn to adapt and live with them. So what I did was learn to adapt and live with all of these negative emotions and negative feelings on the inside. My true healing began when I learned to love and accept the parts of myself that I hid and hated for so long. I became a helper. So in the fitness industry, I was like, I'm going to help people. I'm going to change their lives. And that was a a scapegoat for me to say, I don't have to change my own life because I'm helping other people. Here's the problem. Like, think about this. Like, do you prefer to give help or do you prefer to ask for help? Everyone says give help. They Mm -hmm. all want to give help because there's judgment around asking for help. Yeah. Right. If you cannot ask for help, 
without self-judgment, you can't offer help without judgment. 1000%. If you cannot ask for help without self-judgment, you cannot offer help to somebody else without judgment. So what I was doing was I was helping all of these people because I didn't want to help myself because that was really dark in there. And that was like a place I wasn't willing or ready to go. So I was helping all of these people and inside there was a piece of me judging them and also judging myself for not doing the work. And it wasn't until I worked with a team of inc incredible coaches. Um, I did a lot of trauma release and I've done meditation and breath work. And then I had a personal coach as well. And it was then that I learned that receiving help is just as beautiful as giving help without judgment. So now I've transitioned into like helping more clients, but I do it from a judgment free space and holding that space for them. And when I need help or when I ask for help from my friends or family, I, I do it without judgment. And it's an incredible place to get. I think sometimes people think, oh, I can't ask for help because of my job position. Like for me, I was a, I was placed on this stage figuratively and literally in the fitness industry to be inspirational and motivational. The last thing I was going to do was talk about like my deep, dark secrets and things that I hated about myself. So I did what any fitness person would do. I tried to perfect my body and hide all my flaws, right? Or you have like the CEO or a person running a company that says like, I can't show up and be vulnerable and talk about my anxiety or my depression or people that have these these platforms of podcasts and instagram and and these social platforms that they think i'm a brand and that's not on brand for me to talk about my own mental health and i just think like you're not a brand you're a human being that's point number one but also we need to learn and embrace the light and the dark all of it because it exists within all of us. And when we start to take that armor off and show up and say, this is who I am, light and dark, it invites people to do the same thing. Because here's the thing, we're looking at each other through a computer screen and we both have suffering and we both have suffered and we both have had incredible moments of joy as well. And it's, it's honoring that within each other and knowing that whatever you've gone through or whatever you're feeling is absolutely okay in the space of me. That's so powerful. And it's so true. And talking about it and asking for help. I know hindsight is 2020, which is comical in and of itself a saying, um, but as a 15 year old, were there any things that, you know, could have helped you in those moments? I feel like you went through this journey and thank goodness, because now you are inspiring so many people with your stories. So it's not like you want to change your story, of course, because now you make such an impact with all of your messages and your mission. But looking back, was there anything that you were just like needed or crying out for or like would have helped you find that healing as that 15 year old instead of all those years later from not talking about it? Mm -hmm. After the suicide, I went through what was called, 
I call it PTSD. It's like post-traumatic suicide disorder, right? Yeah. And it's it's like the shame that you create around something you've done. Like nothing has meaning except the meaning you give it. The fact that I attempted suicide was just that. I attempted suicide. But it was the labels that I put on that attempt, which is what created all of that darkness and shame. Then when I healed that, nobody talks about this part, but it's like, PTG, post-traumatic growth. No one talks about how challenging it is to grow, right? Like I know I went through something really challenging. I would not wish this on anyone, but I also wouldn't change it for myself because I know that I am who I am because of it. Mm-hmm. To that 15-year-old boy, mm-hmm. he needed acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. He needed acceptance and also an understanding that I think I know this now people are doing the best they can at the time. And that's what my family was doing. They were doing the best they can. Like, I'm not saying like I had a horrible life at all. My family blessed me with an incredible life. My mom is so loving and my stepdad is selfless and my sister is like, a huge advocate and like my biggest supporter, but it's a special kind of hell that you live in when people like you more than you like you. Yeah. That's where I was. Oh my gosh. And at that age and doesn't really matter the age you are. If you can't, how can you convince yourself to like yourself? You know, it's like, mm, yeah, I think you right can't now just say like, well, your eyes are great or your hair, you know, how can you even get yourself out of that headspace to even attempt to like yourself and not think those thoughts? We live in this world right now that is, we have the ability to compare ourselves at any given moment, 24 seven. We have to open our phone, we hit an app, and then we look at people's squares and we compare their square to our square and what they're doing, their, what they're doing to what, we're doing. And it's like, I think people confuse the highlight reel for being real. Yeah. And it's like, you define yourself on how many likes you get or yeah, how many likes you get. And it's like, do you even like yourself? (laughs) So it is really challenging right now because we can compare ourselves to people at any given moment. And right now we only talk about the really pretty things and the light things. And that's why I thought it was important for me to say, you know what, I'm going to talk about some of the uncomfortable things because I feel that there are more people suffering than they feel brave enough to speak up and out about. So I thought, why not? I know that I can cultivate purpose from this pain that I was feeling And I truly believe like, okay, I can be a vessel for so many people that aren't feeling brave right now. And it's okay not to feel brave. Like I got you. So that was definitely a huge motivator for me. When you were just saying that, you know, you can act totally fine on the outside and you hear these stories like Robin Williams, for example, Mm. who on the outside Everyone is, he's the happiest, funniest, kindest, seemingly loving man. And how would you ever even imagine? Like, he would never do that. Robin Williams is the 
perfect example mm-hmm. of what it means to get, get, get money, fame, success, awards, love, acknowledgement, and mm-hmm. still hate yourself on the inside. And all of those external things will not be enough until you have more self-love and self-compassion and grace through the healing process and this thing we, we have called life. He's the perfect example. On the outside, it looked like he had it all, but he was suffering on the inside. Yeah. And that just goes to show you that there are no amount of likes. There are, there's not enough amount of money or trips that you can take or experiences that you can have or things that you can buy or clothes that you can wear or squares that you can make look really cool because you're a brand. There's none of that that will make that pain go away. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I just want to jump back. I'm sorry, CS. I just keep taking over with questions, but I can't help myself at the moment. When you were in the hospital and I know you said you just felt like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for doing this. Did you internally feel relieved? Like, oh, it didn't work? Or were you upset that it didn't work? Or, you know, besides what you were showing to other people, what inside did you feel like? First, I felt embarrassed. Okay. Then I felt guilt. What I did was bad. Then I felt shame. Who I was was Mm -hmm. bad. And I felt angry. I was pissed at myself and I was sad. Yeah. Because part of me wanted help and even then I didn't get it. I will say that there was this, I'm calling her an angel. I would love to somehow find this woman. It felt very um, clinical in the hospital. I don't know if that's the right word to use. If you know what I mean, clinical, like it or sterile or very much like the doctors come in like angry, you, like you can't do that running test results on me. And, um, then this woman came in, she had long, dark, curly hair and she just stood by the door and I was like, Oh shoot. Another doctor. I can fake it. I'm sorry. <laughs> And she looked at me and she said, you don't need to be sorry. She said, don't show us, tell us. And I just remember thinking that that is exactly what I needed to hear. Don't show me, tell me how you feel. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I believe, that, I believe that there's a lot more people out there right now and there's a lot more education and I think doctors are way more aware of um, how to deal with these kind of things now than back then yeah I believe it and in that setting your perceived reaction from your family and friends I know you said you guys didn't talk about it did you feel like people wanted to talk about it but didn't really know how to or it was like an avoidance fully I didn't want to talk about it okay yeah I didn't want to talk about it either so I don't know if they wanted to talk about it I did have that conversation with my mom 
um, recently. And I felt like it was really healing for her, for me to heal from this as well, because she was holding that in. And as a mother, when your child suffers, you suffer, right? right? And so the turning point for my mom when I came out was someone said to her, they asked her, would you rather write your son's eulogy or would you rather invite your son's boyfriend over for dinner one day? And I think that really changed her reality of, okay, maybe the stigma and labels around being gay is not what I was, what I believed or how I grew up to believe. Um, that was a big changing point or turning point for her then. And the past couple of years, now that we've talked about this openly, I think it's been really healing for her. And then she's also seen the work I've done with coaching clients and in the fitness industry of helping people as well. So I know she knows, like, I raised a good, a good son. He is helping a lot of people through this. And he's also helping himself, which is important. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I think that just shows that the healing on both ends there's you and then there's the people that it affects that ripple effect of the people who are going to be a part of this in one way, shape or form. And they have to go through a whole healing as well. You oh, know, yeah. it's, and then you have to heal together at some, it's like a whole thing. And if we close off and don't talk about it and feel alone and isolated, you know, nobody's going to have that growth and that healing and that, moving past some of those traumas. Mm -hmm. I always say feel, deal, and heal. Like you got to feel it, you got to deal with it, and you'll heal it. Well, and I think that's the hardest part is so many people don't want to deal with so many things in life. So they avoid them. They don't talk about them. Like you said, your family growing up wasn't a big feelings family. And there's so many families that are the exact same way because the second something becomes uncomfortable, put up a wall and Mm -hmm. let's like, you know, boys don't cry or like dust it off. Are you tough Mm -hmm. or are you, you know, a baby? The way we talk to kids, we're teaching them that these feelings aren't okay and Mm -hmm. they're not normal and they're not acceptable. Even though we were literally created as humans to have all the feelings, Mm -hmm. not just happy. Like we're supposed to feel everything. Yeah. It's like, don't be a sissy. Don't be a girl. Like, man up, toughen up. And to the girls, it's like, don't take up too much space. Don't use your voice too loud. You know? Yeah. Be smart, but not too smart. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I think we all, as a whole society, the more we can talk about it, the more we bring awareness to these things, you know, the more we might impact someone like That woman in the hospital Mm. who just said that simple thing to you, but it meant so much. And it was more than just a sentence to you. It impacted probably your whole journey. You're telling everyone now, like you are using that voice. You are telling people how you felt, how you feel, how you are working through things and growing as a human and changing or paving the path, I should say, for so many people who may feel like that 15 year old that you were mm-hmm. and wow, I have someone else to read their story and relate to. And I'm not just the only person feeling this way. 
Yeah. I think people think that healing is a linear process and it's like, we talked about this on the last episode. It's like mm-hmm. packaging your, your healing story in a pretty little box with a bow on top. And that is not what healing is. It's messy. It's, it's challenging. It's having tough conversations. It's correcting people when they don't get words or words, right. It's expressing, it's expressing how you feel. And you know, that quote on Instagram, every you like, you don't need to be perfect to be inspiring. I think, mm-hmm. I think we think that we need to have it all together in order to share our message or to help people or that we need to be perfectly healed or it needs to look perfect on the outside for us to inspire people. It's like your pain is your credentials, right? Mm-hmm. Your pain is how you help people. Yeah. So whenever I start to go into a space where I'm like, who am I equipped? Like, can I do this? Cause I have those moments every now and again too. I just remember and remind myself, my coach Ben tells me this. He's like, my pain is my credentials. So if you think that you can't help somebody because you have suffered in the past or you're suffering now, it's absolutely false. You can help them by just being you. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's all it takes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I wanted to say, um, and I know Connor will never listen to this, so it doesn't really matter either way, but the stigma is around how- Never say never. Well, right. Well, he maybe he will. Um, I knew after we got the boys that they would probably be in and out of therapy for the rest of their lives or however, you know, whenever they needed to. But it's kind of like- um, like hitting the remind me tomorrow button when people ask, like, how are the boys doing? And if things seem smooth sailing, it's just the boys are, they're doing really well, all things considered. But recently we got to a place where um, I knew Connor needed help. And he talked to me more in like one hour than he had in six years. And when I brought up seeing somebody again, he said, I don't want to like, I don't want to do that. Like that, that's not going to help me like become a man said something like to that effect. And I was, I was like, are we still there? Like in today's world, like, and maybe it's because like every podcast I listen to, there's an advertisement for online therapy, or I just know how truly beneficial therapy is but just how, how there shouldn't be any shame in that, but how so much shame is, is put on that. And he's 16 years old saying that, and he has all this pain that he's dealing with in very unhealthy ways that he is now willing to talk about to me, but that's as far as he wants to take it because he wants. So I'm so glad that you pointed that out. And, Mm -hmm. um, the thing you said about healing, it reminds me, my daughter, Maddie was wrapping presents, um, I just thought of this because I was looking around at the mess that you can't see and it's kind of like wrapping a present. Like the process is kind of hard and sticky. And especially when my almost seven-year-old daughter is doing it, there's like little scraps everywhere, but the end result is, is as perfect as she can make it be. And then the present gets unwrapped again. And that kind of just resonated with me when you said that about healing, because I think for me, like I'm going to do it forever. So there's not really a hurry. And, um, that's a total side point, but I'm just so intrigued because you had such a great amount of time after you attempted suicide and then 
when you decided, like, I want to help other people, what was that? Like, what was it that inspired you to say, hey, I'm going to look at this now as post-traumatic growth and keep moving forward? And I don't know. I just wanted to ask that to you. Mm. Yeah, I first helping people was a strategy and a coping mechanism to not deal or feel or heal. So in the beginning, in my early on in my fitness, I didn't recognize it at the time, but maybe subconsciously, but in my fitness career, I was really, I was traveling the world and just exposed to a lot of different types of amazing people and creating these like life-changing fitness experiences. And yet I wasn't doing the same for myself. So helping people was a great strategy not to deal with my own stuff. Mm-hmm. That was in the beginning. Now, it took me 15 years to actually even verbalize the words. And I thought my sister does a beautiful job at reminding me every year on September 25th. She's like, this is like your second birthday. And not many people get second chances in life. Right? When you think about that, how many second chances have you really gotten? You can probably count on one hand. And I've been blessed with this second chance to say, this is not how my story will end. And I really hope that people listening also recognize that, that there is, you hear like, there's purpose from the pain and there's strength from the struggle. And I just say, listen to the little whisper of pain in your heart. Right. And I knew that pain was there for a reason and it was to teach me and also teach others how to heal. And so it was a long process, CS, and it was uncomfortable, but it was definitely one needed because I would have never truly been able to help people in the way that I wanted to help them if I didn't help myself first. It's like you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Like as moms, you're always giving, giving, giving and doing things for other people, but not receiving. Or even when you think about taking a compliment, what's the first thing you do? Let me compliment that person back rather than say thank you and just accept it. So I knew that healing and working on myself was not selfish, It was actually important because then I could show people that healing was truly possible, right? Whereas before hiding all of that, I showed them, okay, here's some great defense mechanisms or strategies to avoid things. And I think when you heal, you teach others how to heal. Yes. What were some of the things that helped your healing process? I know you talked about therapy Were there other things or people in your life that just, you know, got you to that PSG part? Mm -hmm. Um, I worked with, I was actually going through um, my coaching certification course and in the, like help, I'm like, I'm going to help people. And then of course, uh, my stuff comes up in the course. You got to like have the techniques done to you. You got to like go through that experience as a person, as a client, not just as a practitioner. And so um, it was there that I was like, I worked with, his name's Greg. Um, he was my coach and he did a lot of um, like trauma release, belief change work. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with timeline therapy. I worked with... Um, 
a girl called Narissa and she is an incredible breathwork coach. And then I worked with two other coaches, Dan and Nikki as well. So I had a really great team around me supporting me. Um, but I'll tell you the healing process through the process that we do and in my coaching company, it was a lot of it's content free and you don't have to like relive and retalk about the trauma. So I, I went through, it was kind of like dipping the toe in the trauma, but not reliving those painful experiences and removing the beliefs and the pain. And that was like kind of keeping me stuck. Yeah. Stuck there. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're talking about all of these other people in the world and those statistics, what is the mentality? I actually just saw something and it's a beautiful thing that people are talking about this so much more, especially with this month, but it needs to not only be in September, of course, but all the time. And it said people who commit suicide or attempt suicide aren't the only people who think suicidal thoughts. There's plenty of people who it might just pop into their head one day I can't do this anymore. Or it might be like a fluttering every now and then. And there were, it was dividing like different levels of people, just a random thought or a reoccurring thought or a, I'm going to plan this out and like different steps to it. But so many people who may not actually ever want to commit suicide might have that just thought that pops in their head sometime. So it's really hard to say like, what's the mentality of someone who possesses suicidal thoughts? Because I think it's a lot broader than just those people who attempt suicide. And I think we need to remember that, that just because you might not want to commit suicide doesn't mean those thoughts don't pop into people's heads. But if you could give an idea of what the mentality is of someone who possesses a suicidal thought, how can either those people who think those thoughts you know, work through them where they don't get to the place where they just want it to end or people who are around those people who love them. What can we do when, you know, those thoughts pop up? Yeah. Just because you haven't attempted suicide doesn't mean that you haven't had suicidal thoughts. And just because you haven't had suicidal thoughts doesn't mean that you're not suffering. Right. Right. Like mental health is really important right now. Um, so just because you haven't thought about killing yourself, uh, it doesn't mean that you're not suffering on the inside. Right. Yeah. I think people, when you are in that state of mind, it's very much you're in the moment and you're not mm -hmm. thinking about a future. You can't even think about like a bright future or what's coming mm -hmm. up. You're very much stuck in your own pain. And I think people need to recognize that there is clarity beyond that that confusion and there is like purpose behind the pain. Let the pain teach you mm -hmm. and then in return, teach others. And that becomes a survival guide. And that's what I've done. I've turned this story and this pain into a survival guide for others that aren't where I am right now. But also if they can see through me that healing is possible, then they have already seen themselves healing. Honestly, if they've listened to this and they're in a really dark place and they thought, wow, he look at what he's doing now or where he is at, they've already thought about it for themselves, which is incredible. Wow. Mm -hmm. You are like the after shot of like, I don't know how you can really compare it to a product, but like 
people will buy into something that there's proof of. And so I think that that's so cool that you're using your platform to talk about that, especially since after you attempted to take your life, you said, I'm sorry. And, you know, I will never do it again, but I have to ask you, were there any more thoughts like suicidal thoughts that you had where you feared that you might be back in that same place where you couldn't see a future and this time you might actually succeed if that's what you want to call it. I don't, that's not the right word. Tell me a different word to use. Um, at the, from a, from a person's perspective, it would be like, did you follow through with it? Follow, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I did have them afterwards because I didn't get the help I needed. So the first time I did it, it was such an unknown. This Then when I thought about it afterwards, I thought about it in a, in a permanent way, if that makes sense. Like I definitely, mm-hmm. w- if I was to do it again, I remember thinking that I wouldn't have had a second chance. I would have a hundred percent made sure I followed through with it. So I wonder what the statistics are there. I, I would, because what if I was your friend and I came up to you and said, Hey, let's grab lunch on Saturday. And then we sat down and I said, Hey, I heard about what happened. Are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? Like, what would you have, how would you have responded had someone done that? And is that something that someone should do? Mm Mm-hmm. I think offering support is really important and the way to offer support, there's no writer, there's no like rule book on how to navigate these kind of conversations, right? So I think the first thing to ask people is how can I show up for you? Or how do you need me to show up? Because how are you doing? Like CS, when people ask you that, do you always tell the truth or no? No, definitely not. No. No. Exactly. Yeah. So terrible. Thanks for asking. I love that podcast. Yeah. I'm freaking terrible. Like I'm yeah. suffering. I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. I feel like this pain is ripping out of my chest. Anything else you want to know? Couldn't eat, barely slept. <laughs> like not a, how are you question? Maybe how's your heart? And then people need to practice active listening. Yes. When you are offering someone support, how can I support you? How can I show up for you? And if you don't get it right, call them back and say, you know what? I didn't get that right. How can I get it right now? Right? You're not going to always get it right. But also, I think it's important to know that sharing your story with people that you trust. Do not share your story with people that haven't earned the right to hear it. I know Brene Brown says that. Um, like, Don't share your shame story with people who haven't earned your trust because they probably won't react the way you want them to react. And if your healing is validated based on their reaction, you will be hurt. Right. Right. So find people that you trust. Wow. That's so true. Did you have friends as a 15 year old, you know, I I just keep sticking on this point where you could have all the people around you love you, but you didn't love yourself. So did you have any friends that were like those trusted people back then that had any inklings or that you opened up to? Or was it not until after you kind of went through your healing that you found it okay to open up more to those people? Mm-hmm. Um, well, 
like I said, I had um, that one good um, friend, Ashley, in high school who would, oh, yeah, yeah, who would yeah. stick up for me. Yeah. And it's like those people that stick up for you in high school are so important. Like your work, keep doing it, girls. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I didn't talk about it. Yeah. No. And then the more years it that passed, oh, gosh, like I couldn't even get it out of my throat like let alone speak the words and then i even had when i was going through the healing process i even had one of my best friends tell me she's like i never knew you went through that and i was like i know like i did such a great job i don't know if great's the correct word but i i did such a uh, I, I just packaged it really well like with hiding it although it did come out I was really moody, really angry at my mom. I was, um, yeah, inside I was really, really sad and really hurt. Um, so it came through in some behaviors, um, but none of my friends knew. Wow. Yeah. That's just so, so heartbreaking that so many people go through this alone. Mm-hmm. And they feel so alone. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, I, when you were talking about um, the stigma of mental health and how we talk about it, you use the word selfish earlier and you often hear people when you hear of a suicide and people will use the word selfish a lot. And it's one of those things that just like irks you the wrong way because it was so selfish of them because now all of these people are grieving, you know, how can people talk about it or re-gear that? Because I just it just it sounds so gross when someone's talking about someone being selfish for committing suicide. I just it's like the whole stigma behind it, and then people put these words into these situations, and they just don't feel right that someone is suffering so much, and then it's talked about in such a negative way afterwards. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what my question is, but yeah, you know how what? can that we has... take away some of that, that stigma or those connotations that just, I, I, you know, you said you wanted the pain to stop. You mm-hmm. didn't want your life to stop necessarily, but now I know that. that I didn't know that then. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, how can you even think past that where, I don't know. A lot of times people don't think past that. And you're right. It is this really hard conversation to navigate of suicide survivors. So that would be family members that Mm -hmm. they've had somebody commit suicide to say like, that was so selfish of them um, because the grieving process or that that process now becomes about them, the family that's there. It's not about the person anymore because right. they're not there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. so, yes, I, I'm so with you on how to navigate that because I'm like, what I did was selfish in a negative way. Whereas like the self-love I was talking about earlier, not negative. Right, right, right. It was selfish because I didn't think about my family and my sister and the my future or the people that I could be inspiring. 
so was it selfish yeah like it it was i feel but just know that there was a greater pain than the pain of selfishness inside me at the time when i was doing it when right. i attempted and that i think we need to remember and think about that the actual suffering someone is enduring to get to this place and to have those thoughts and to actually attempt that goes beyond thinking about how their parents or their friends are going to feel the next day. It's something so inside them that they want to get rid of at any cost. (sighs) Yeah. Those conversations, I think they're just, they're so tricky, especially you said suicide survivors. One of a neighbor that I have, their son committed suicide. And I've heard about it through other neighbors, but like, I would never know how to go up and talk to them and open up a conversation about that because would they want to talk about it? Or even someone who attempted suicide, but didn't follow through. How do we get to the place where we can discuss things. And obviously me talking to my neighbor, that's none of my business. <laughs> so I'm not saying that any stranger should just go up and try to dig into someone's, you know, past. And I don't think you need to dig in. I think it is. Yeah. A, I think it is a responsibility that we all need to take because when one person suffers, we all suffer. Yeah. Right. It's like when you pass by a homeless person on the street, mm-hmm. your first instinct is to look away. <laughs> Don't make eye contact. Look away because here's why. There is such a vulnerability in seeing that person. Imagine begging for money. Like it's such a vulnerable place that we don't even want to have that interaction with them because it makes us feel feel vulnerable. So could you go to your neighbor and say, hey, how can I show up for you? Or what's up? And, And I think it could be, the uncomfortable conversation you don't want to have. But when your intention is pure and your heart is pure, it may make the world of difference to them. Um, Not that long ago, my neighbor um, right down the street, um, he was a young boy. He hung himself in his garage. And I, this was before I like came to terms with everything that I was going through. And my dad at the time was outside and he heard his dad find him. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, that, that could have been me. And I would have loved to meet that boy, but then I wasn't brave enough at the time to say, like, could I have made a difference if I would have healed from this and spoken about it sooner? You know what I mean? So that's why I'm like, you know what? it's so important to speak up now. Like, you don't like on this call, we've been on the call for an hour, like already that's five people, four or five people that have um, committed suicide just in this call alone. So it's like when you put it into perspective like that, like, you know what, what's wrong with going to a neighbor's house and checking on them and saying, I don't want to know details. I don't even need to know details, but what can I do to support you? Or just know that I know your heart's hurting and that hurts my heart. 
yeah. here's my phone number. It's like, we're so scared to do that. Kids do it really well. I brought my niece to the playground. She made a friend in like 30 seconds. I'm like, she goes up to her, this girl, little girl, and she's like, hi, I'm Ruby. And this girl's like, hi, I'm Caroline. And then they play for an hour and a half. No labels, no stigma, no, no boundaries. Like, I love how kids interact. And I think if adults did more of that as well on one side to the other, the light and the dark, I think that the world would be a um, more connected place. When you reference the homeless person and we turn our heads, as society, I feel we find a way to dehumanize these groups or these people. So like, I'm not going to give them money because they'll use them for drugs or they probably have this past when we know nothing about it. Mm -hmm. And just like, I know bits of my neighbor's story because everyone kind of talks about it, but I don't, dudes, does anyone really know the real story or are they just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that thing where you don't know that person's story on the street and what they've gone through. And I don't know my neighbor's actual story besides the ramblings I've heard from other people. And when we kind of like push those situations into these boxes where it's like just a thing instead of a human heart who's suffering in some way, it's easier for us to just like ignore it and pretend it isn't happening all around us. Because it triggers something inside of us that feels pain. Yeah. And that feels vulnerable. Like don't, and to your point, don't talk about me without me. Right. Yes. And if you have totally. something, if, if you want to ask, like, of course, ask, but don't go and make up stories. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you said the, how can I show up for you? What are other powerful questions? So like we said in the beginning, people get uncomfortable. So they skirt around a topic and they say like, well, how are you? And, you know, CS, you might say, I'm fine, even though I am having a really hard day or how do we dig into the depth of people without feeling like we're overstepping and without feeling like we're just trying to like, yeah, make everyone feel fine so we can move on with our day. Yeah. Like underselling. The the feeling of overstepping. If I feel like I'm overstepping again, it's about me and how I feel. And, And I don't like, if you're trying to support somebody, don't make it about you. So it could be going back to the belief of giving and receiving help, right? Do you Mm -hmm. give help with judgment subconsciously? Mm -hmm. Because do you have, do you have a belief around receiving help? So I would clean and clear that up first. And the second is when somebody's going to somebody, it might not be a powerful question. It might just be a, I'm thinking of you text message or something cute or funny or sending them something or just a phone call or a voicemail. It doesn't always need to be. So how are you? Like you don't always need to talk about it. It could just be, what do you got going on? What's the, been the best part of your day? I had a conversation with this guy. And so instead of saying, how are you? I'd just be like, so how's your heart? I love that. Yeah. And it just opens up a little bit more honesty. Um, But you don't always need to ask questions. That's true. Just be there for someone. Mm-hmm. Just show up. Yeah, because when you go through, and I'm sure CS, you can talk more about this. When you go through a loss and when you go through a death, there's nothing anybody can say or do to take the pain away. Mm-hmm. Nothing. But what you can do is have somebody feel what you're feeling 
with you. Yeah. I'm here. I can't say anything. I can't really do anything, but I will feel exactly what you're feeling. And we can go through this hand in hand together. CS, would you agree? Mm-hmm. I actually, um, we got so many beautiful cards and we moved from St. Louis to Indy. And so between like my other sister and my parents and all the cards, I feel like I opened some of them, but then I didn't open most of them until, I don't know, it's been six years, maybe like three years ago. And I felt really bad about that, but I knew that it was all about timing and when I needed them. And I have five, not that they didn't all mean a lot, but five cards that are in my desk drawer right there. And I would say I probably get them out just like once a month because to have been thought of doesn't mean that you're not still being thought of. And those messages, not even the handwritten ones, but just the messages on the cards themselves because they're just written so beautifully. Um feeling less alone. Like I haven't really thought about it as much as I have lately. It is like, it's kind of a saving grace because who wants to be alone, all alone in their pain if there's nothing to be gained. So, um, anyway, yeah, I think sometimes not saying something isn't a bad thing, but there's other ways to show that you care and that you're thinking of somebody and that they're on your heart or in your prayers. And for me, that in and of itself, or this is silly, but one of my best friends sent a TikTok to our group the other day. And it was like a a woman, a mom, like anybody out there, like just dumbfounded at the fact that like you haven't been murdered by now. It was something to that effect to where I hadn't even watched it yet, but I had so many missed texts from my friend apologizing for sending that in the context that it was said to be funny because I should take offense to that. And I so appreciate, I hadn't even seen it yet. I never would have thought that it it was really about just how careless people can be. And just, just, it was something stupid, but it made me feel so good that I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. That she reached out and said, Oh my gosh, I wasn't even thinking I could have done this better. I'm sorry. Like Adam said earlier, like if you didn't show up the right way the first time, it doesn't mean you can't go back and say, you know, I didn't handle that right. Or I want to do this better next time or something that means so much than just sweeping it under the rug and hoping. Right. But I also, I I want, I don't want them to have another group text where all the funny things go. (laughs) Like I want to be a part of all of it because I'm still here. And because that is, that was the way it was. It was funny. Um, but I really appreciated that. And so then I had this side talk with her and, um, yeah. CS, when you went through, um, the tragedy with your sister, did you ever have any thoughts of suicide? I had, no, I didn't. I did not. I I was actually kind of like reborn from it, to be completely honest. Like it gave her death, gave my life and a whole new purpose and meaning. I don't think I really saw it that way for a while, but, um, I ju- it just pains me so much that people ha- do have those thoughts. And I, I feel guilty that I can't relate to those thoughts. But it also goes to show, like, 
you can go through something that relative relatively isn't as traumatic as what I went through and have suicidal thoughts. And then I can go through something like that and not, it's about the, our makeup and, you know, we're not all the same. And that's the whole point. But because we're not the same, we have to be there for each other, even if we don't know how to show up or what to do. Um, just the humanizing things and why CB and I are so passionate about just trying to do our little part and brightening someone's Big day. Part. Well, right. I mean, we feel like it's huge. Um, we feel like, you know, but it is huge. But if everybody, because you think if this one podcast changes one life, then that's enough. And that's what I had to come to terms with as well. Like, it's not about how many likes you get or how many views you get or how many people tell you how great you are. Like, if it's just one person, it's that's significant enough. And then it's that one person, and then the ripple effect of that person's life all of their family, all of their friends, like Colleen and I used to always say this, like kindness is a boomerang. And then this ripple effect, like one little drop can impact so many other people without them ever even hearing this podcast. But something that was said can inspire one person and then their whole family could be changed forever. I mean, there's just so many things that when we're just open to each other as human beings and all of our feelings, you know, speaking about feelings, I just want to ask this really quick. What do we do with those families? Like you said, your family didn't talk about feelings growing up and so many people avoid feelings. What can we say to each other and to people to inspire them to talk about feelings so that maybe as a 15 year old, you felt a little more comfortable discussing things openly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think having these kinds of conversations where, you know, a mom could be listening right now or a dad or a family member that's been thinking about something that they've been holding in or somebody else in their family has been holding in and just shooting them a text message or calling them or FaceTiming them and reaching out and saying, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Also, maybe people are listening to this that say, or think that like I have been putting off a conversation that I needed to have with somebody because of my own feelings. Mm-hmm. Although the conversation should be about helping them. Yeah. So it's putting that aside. And honestly, there will be people listening to this that are parents or family members or friends of people that it's too late. Right. There will be people listening that it's too late. And they will be always left wondering why. And there's no that's a period that's a hard stop like and that's why what you're doing is so important and finding this language to be able to express how we feel if we're the ones having the suicidal thoughts or not and just if we have a child or something having that language to talk about things and not just say i'm happy or i'm sad I was listening to a podcast with Jay Shetty, who I, I just love. And she loves him. I'll find the link and I'll put it in the show notes. But it was a guide to this whole like encyclopedia of feeling words. So we settle with 
sad, happy, mad, angry, excited. But if you go into sad, then it breaks it all down. How can you really talk about it? I am uncomfortable or I am scared of something or I am, you know, it like breaks down all of these other words to really communicate it because I might be sad. I could be sad because my dog passed away. I could be sad, but I don't know why I'm sad internally. I'm just sad today. But when we open up that vocabulary of all these other words and things to describe how we feel, then I think it just becomes easier. But sometimes we don't even know what those words are to express what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. Becomes so tough. I'm, I'm definitely as a parent trying to be very open with feelings and talk about feelings a lot. So how are you feeling and why are we feeling this way? And okay. And like, it doesn't mean we need to switch all your feelings to happy right now. It just means this is how we're feeling in this moment. I would like to encourage everybody. I have done this one time um, on Facebook when you do a post. I recently posted, I am feeling frustrated. I think I said frustrated with myself because my husband and I forgot to order Danny's tennis uniforms. And now his first tennis match is in two days. Anyway, and thank you mothers who put things on porches for me to pick up. And anyway, mm-hmm. when you go there, I'm, I don't know. Cause I can't count cause there's not enough time, but I want to say over 150. How are you feeling options on Facebook? Yes. And I mean, it's everything from mad, yucky, blue, um, nervous, deep, miserable, hopeless, drunk, helpless, different. I mean, worthless, ready. I mean, all the, all the feelings that I could never even think of. And I love that because I don't like to, if I'm truly sad or mad, I like, I like to be able to explain why, but it's hard to explain why if you can't even get to the bottom of that feeling. And so, yeah. Yeah. And finding the words to express any of it. Yeah. Everybody needs to look at that. I find myself in my journal that I do in the morning and night, it always says at the end, like, what's one thing you could have done better? And sometimes it's like not yelled at bedtime or something, but sometimes I find myself writing the same thing. And I'm like, but that's not really what I meant. I'm just having a hard time finding the words to really dive in and express myself. Or I'll leave conversations with people sometimes where I'm like, I feel like I was at the tip of the iceberg. And like, we could have just had this like huge deep moment, but I was lacking the vocabulary to like get there. Welcome to my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe if we do a little bit more deep diving into that so we can express ourselves and then give other people the permission to express themselves at any given time. I don't know. Maybe that's what some people need in these moments when they're having this pain and these feelings. Mm, Yeah. I like that. Oh my gosh. So Adam, the phrase, you are not alone. What does this mean to you? Mm, This is a mantra and a message. I hope people take, take with them in their day every single day and just know like, you hear it a lot. You are not alone. And 
there's so much support out there and so many resources. If you are feeling suicidal thoughts or you're just feeling down, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yeah, I just love this sweatshirt. Can you tell them how what the reason yes. why it's on the back? So you guys, we decided that when we were going to do this podcast, we needed to create a new product with Adam together. Uh, we had a shirt in the past that said, you are not alone, or we still have it. And we're like, we need to revamp it with Adam's collaboration on it. And so we are launching today these awesome hoodies and t-shirts. And the front chest has a semicolon. And on the back, it says, you are not alone. And Adam, if people don't understand what the semicolon represents, can you tell them? Yeah. So the semicolon is, um, it's a, it's used when an author uh, could, could have ended a sentence, but chose not to. So this girl that lost her dad got a tattoo on herself that has a semicolon and it's it's very much representing you could have chosen to end your life or you almost did end your life but you chose not to or you didn't or the circumstances were different so that's what it represents i have a dance student a former dance student i'm gonna cry when she was graduating she gave me a necklace with a semicolon on it and said you were part of why my story is going on and I didn't know what it meant at the time and she had to explain it to me instead of me opening it and crying and thinking it was beautiful I was like I don't know what this means (laughs) and she told me (laughs) my heart like shattered and I knew she was going through stuff throughout the year but that my impact as her dance teacher and friend was a part of her choosing that semicolon instead of that period oh my gosh it meant the world to me. And so Adam saying, can we put a semicolon on the front of this? I was like, yes. And all the exclamation points in the world, you guys, it's beautiful. These hoodies, this t-shirt, and we are donating a portion of the proceeds to the Trevor project. So Adam, tell us all about the Trevor project. Oh my gosh. I'm so, so grateful that you're doing that. So the Trevor project, it's, it's an organization that provides, um, crisis intervention, but also suicide intervention for the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Like, honestly, when you said that message, like I was so full of gratitude. So thank you. Well, we have to thank you because, you know, after Shannon died and we started realizing that these stories, everyone has a story is what we always said. Everyone has a story. And some people don't want to share their story, which is perfectly fine and perfect. And those who want to share their story and relive some of those horrible times and moments and then impact others with their story by just being themselves, you know, we are so grateful because you are allowing us to impact all of these people together. And I know it's going to impact so many people listening and family members and friends to just open up their vocabularies, talk about feelings, show up for people, you know, sit with them in the dark. I kept thinking of that song. Who sung that? I will follow you into the dark. I will follow you. No, I'll find it. It has the saddest music video. It's like a little rabbit and then the rabbit follows them into the dark. I was going to say, I'll think about it, but 
Be that rabbit. So be that rabbit. Sit with someone. You don't have to understand. You don't have to find the right words to say. Just be there with them, sitting in it together. Mm-hmm. Because nobody is truly alone. And the message on the back of this hoodie, we placed it there because, you know, someone might be feeling alone in a crowd of a million people. And metaphorically or truly in life. And you might not know that person and your back might be turned to them, but they can read the back of your sweatshirt and just know like, you're not alone. I might not see you in this moment because I don't know you or I'm not with you, but I'm still here. Like, come tap me on the shoulder. You're not alone. I'm here for you. And we're so excited about this collaboration and we know you guys are going to love it. So definitely head to the website and check that out immediately. And then tell everyone where they can follow along, what's coming up next, and all the good stuff. Yes, you can follow me on my Instagram as Adam Snow B. And you can check out my website at cultivatecoaching.com. So that's C U L T I V, the number eight, coaching.com. I'm going to be dropping a video today, September 25th, um, in honor of Suicide Prevention Month. So I'm super excited about that. I could say it a million times. You're impacting so many people by just showing up as exactly who you are. You guys, if you did not listen to our first episode with Adam, scroll back to episode 29 called Showing Up as Myself to hear our first conversation. And it's a good one. I'm sure we will have many, many more after this one too, because we can't get enough of Adam's words and his insights and his just himself. He's the best. So thank, thank you, you so Adam. much, Adam. You are welcome. Please make sure that if you are struggling with any suicidal thoughts or have family or friends who are experiencing this to reach out, get help. There are many places out there you can get help, even if you're just feeling blue or if you are having suicidal thoughts. Please try to reach out because you are not alone. And your life definitely matters in this world. Make sure you screenshot and tag all of us and share with friends and family who could definitely benefit from hearing what Adam had to say today. Thank you. Thank you, Adam.